0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Well, we can't ignore the upheaval of protest in our day. So what do we make of it? Turn now to Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 23, where Paul encounters Athens filled with idols. His reaction And the reason for it should help us know how we should react to what we're seeing in our country today. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 23. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is which you speak? For we are bringing, you are bringing some strange things to our ears, and therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Arpagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. I wonder if you're watching the news on TV as a crowd of peaceful protesters run riot over cities. I wonder if uh, you're as provoked within yourself as Paul was provoked in watching the people of Athens give themselves to the plethora of gods. I know that for one reason or another, you do feel provoked. In fact, I think that our whole nation at the moment is in a state of provocation. But the question is, are we provoked as Paul was for the reason that Paul was, and will we allow ourselves to be provoked to the same action that Paul took? All through Athens, as in no other city that Paul had been in, he saw a city full of idols. Statues representing the gods that the Athenians were bowing before and worshiping. And let's not be distracted by this idea of images themselves. Paul was not interested in tearing down these altars or statues per se. Only the activity around them revealed that the people of Athens were very religious They were very engaged in seeming religious activities, but in all of it, the one true God was unknown and missed by them altogether. These Athenians had constructed their various religious strategies to deal with an inner stirring that was in their souls, and regularly a new God was being imported to the city in the hope that it might complete their search and answer for their deep longings, but no God did, and so what the Athenians did was they simply stacked up one God upon another until the city was full of idols and altars and temples to these gods. But the deep matters of their souls continued to be unresolved. And Paul knew that his God, who alone could answer their great need, was unknown to them, was unmet by them. And how maddening it must have been for him to see the right of their worship and know that it was futile and empty and ultimately destructive to their lives and those around them. Their religiosity, left unchallenged, unchecked, uncorrected, was only going to lead them further and further into the night and further and further away from the truth that they needed to hear in order to deliver them. And so Paul had to direct address their religion. He had to address their failed attempt at meeting the great impulse of their beings. Paul had to go to them and tell them where that impulse could be met. So he began to go into the marketplace and whoever who was willing to listen and whoever he could engage, he was addressing them and speaking to them on these matters. And eventually his uh, messages and his contending with them began to reach the ears of the leading figures of the city. And they took him away from the marketplace and they brought him up to the Pegasus, which basically means Mars Hill. And there just underneath the Acropolis, they addressed these concerns with him and as Paul spoke to them, by the way, he looked out over uh, that area. And if he would have been looking, they all sat around him. He would have been standing up. Or if they were standing up and he was sitting down, it didn't matter. Every view that he had just beyond them, just over their heads, just under their one arm over here, beyond another person over here, everywhere he looked, anywhere he would have scanned, if he turned 360 degrees upon that rock, that piece of marble on that hill, He would have seen an altar, a statue, a place of worship, a place of veneration, and he would have seen people gathering there, trying to answer and find an answer to the deep needs within them, and he would have known they were completely unsatisfied, and that God was unmet, and it was God that he wanted to proclaim to them, and God's answer that he wanted to declare to them. Our nation today needs people who react as Paul reacted, with a proper recognition of what is before us, with a proper spirit of provocation at what we see and with a readiness to address everyone we can in the marketplace of ideas about the deeper issues lying behind the strange religious activity that we're now witnessing in our nation and make no mistake, what we are witnessing is religious activity. It's a religious exercise at heart What we're seeing is the blossoming of a new religion or of new religious expressions. It's a religion made up of three parts: first is the congealing of a complaint against some original sin; second, a human effort at reform; and third, a vision of a future hell to be avoided and a heaven to be won. And by the way, all religions are made up of the same formula. All religions stand upon the legs of these three things, and. This new religion is multifaceted. Right now, it's bearing the marks of social justice and anti-racism, but it can easily be blended, and it soon will, with passions for economic justice, for climate relief, for a communal utopianism, and the like. At its base, it's a religion with a complaint, with an effort at human reform, and with a vision of hell to be avoided and heaven to be won. Just as Paul in Athens saw the city being swallowed up in false religions that were destructive and dehumanizing and God denying and so was vexed. We need to see what is before us as it is. We need to see it in the way that Paul saw it as idolatry just as it was in Athens. So what I'd like to do this morning very briefly is I want to develop these ideas by just making three points uh, progressively and I want you to consider them in the progression and my hope is that in the end you'll see things as Paul saw them, you'll feel things as Paul felt them, and you'll do what Paul did. That's the point that we're going towards. But first, just let me develop further this brief understanding of what lies beneath all religions, these three things that I've just spoken of. It actually is a primary element of the theme that's in the book that I wrote, The Pathway to the Soul. You go to John chapter 16, verses 8-11. through 11. And there, uh, Jesus reveals to his disciples what it is that the Holy Spirit has been saying or contending with the heart of man since the fall of man. Since Adam and Eve fell in sin, there are three areas of conversation and contention that the Spirit has had with a fallen humanity and with sinful people. And Jesus tells his disciples that this work of the Holy Spirit and these three points of conversation and conviction are going to come to their zenith or the highest point of conviction when this church experiences the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them and the Holy Spirit brings to them the message of himself and his work, the message of Jesus Christ and his work. And at that point in time, he says, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will continue this convicting work in these three key areas, but it will have its most intense application because it will center around me and who I am. But... Here are the three things that the Spirit of God has been contending with man since the fall. He has been revealing to mankind that they're sinful. He's been convicting them of sin. He's been making them know of their guilt before God. He has also been convicting them of righteousness. That is, he's been placing in men a desire to be good and a knowledge that they're not. And as a result of all that, he's also been convicting men of judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said he will convict men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to bring this ministry an intensified application. When he fills the church and filled with the life of Jesus Christ, they engage lost people with a declaration of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But but even before we, as Christians, go to people and go to places where even the gospel's never been sounded, and we even before we go to them proclaiming Jesus Christ and His work, which will intensify these three things, even before that happens, you have to understand that in the heart of individuals, and deep within them, the Spirit of God is still carrying out this convicting work. They are being convicted of their sin. They are being convicted of their need to be righteous and their lack of righteousness. They are being convicted of a concern that justice and judgment will fall upon their own heads. And this understanding that you see is universal is not something that's generated from their natural way of thinking. The Bible says that no man naturally in himself and his fallen state seeks after God and no man knows God. This understanding, this comprehension is an expression that the Spirit of God is pressing upon the conscience of all men carrying out this convicting work. And here's what people do with these three points of contention or these three points of conviction that the Spirit puts upon men. They suppress it. They deny it. They try to ignore it. They turn from it. They deflect it in other places. All strategies of suppressing this convicting work that comes upon their own hearts. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul speaks about this. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Can I tell you something? You can't suppress what's not there. Men know that God exists. Men know that God is real. The Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God day unto day and and night unto night their speech is heard. There's no place where their speech is not heard. God exists. God is to be glorified. And with the knowledge of God and the presence of God, the Spirit only amplifies this convicting work of men's sin and of their lack of righteousness and of oncoming judgment. And so what men do, because they will not turn to God in these things, is they suppress it. They turn from it, but even as they suppress it and turn from it, they, they can't run away from the ongoing agitation, it's still there. The spirit won't be silent, the spirit go, goes on speaking, they still know that they're sinful deep inside, they still know that they're not righteous as they want to be, they still fear judgment as a result, and so what this produces in them are new religions. They turn from God to answer to these things, but they still have to resolve this inner conflict that's within them, and so they turn to other religions and other formulations in order to achieve some way to uh, deal with the sin and guilt that's piling up within them and uh, formulations in order to achieve by their own hand and their own work some right state and right, right standing and so that they in some way might avoid judgment that they feel might come upon them and attain some transcendent state that they could realize. Every religion will have some idea of sin to be avoided or overcome, some idea of righteousness to be gained and realized and some strategy for doing it, and some idea of a consequence in the future to be avoided and a consequence to be pursued. And now their formulations and their strategies and their perceptions are wrong. It's a false religion. But the three points of concern that they're attempting to address are true. True. Please join us in our next broadcast, but until then, if you'd like a copy of this message, just go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.